Uh, hey, so uh, we are, we're in the middle of this series, and I'm just going to talk over the top of you because you're doing it to me. Uh, we're in the middle of the series. Gideon, what's the series called? Amazing Grace. I like that the kids' uh, event is called Amazing Race. Amazing Grace, but without the G. Yep. That's profound. <laughs> A marketer would pick that up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, so I'm gonna I'm gonna carry on. Um, we're session two of Amazing Grace. What's so amazing about grace? And uh, I'm gonna look this morning at the concept, the idea of identity theft. Identity theft. Uh, has anybody ever been, <laughs> been subject to identity theft? So no one's been there. Oh yeah, someone. Yeah, you and me both. Woo! Uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I am. Um, I'm going to tell you a quick story. My um, when my wife and I were first married, uh, we'd been married a year, and we went to the French West Indies. We we moved overseas to to live over there in the Caribbean, and um, <clears throat> we were there for about a month. It was probably. Um, it was, it's a French island, so it's in euros, right? It was probably the dollar had gone down. It was about two and a half times the dollar to the euro. And within a month, we ran out of um, money, foreseeably, <laughs> uh, except our savings, which were there to set us up. And so we are, we're in this island, it's on Guadeloupe, and uh, my wife is training. And so I go to move to London to set up a flat for us and to get us all st- st- uh, started. And uh, it, it ends up, this is our second year of marriage, we'd probably do seven to nine months apart that year. Um, but <clears throat> I transferred some money into a, an account so that I could change currencies and arrive in London, pick up this money and go to a flat, um, which I had reserved for myself, for ourselves. And uh, when I got to London, um, I was very fortunate that when I got off the train, the one person I knew in London just happened to be at Guadnor at the train station, right? That doesn't happen, so that's, that's the first miracle. But her and I then went for a walk and, and found out that this, this flat never existed. The address didn't exist. And uh, so we quickly hightailed it to the bank and found out that my money no longer existed either. And, um, <clears throat> and, and essentially, this is as far as we could trace it, is to IP addresses and various things, but my identity had been stolen. So they had taken my passport, which there was a copy of in my Hotmail account, and they had used it to pretend that they were me. Right? Good times. And uh, <laughs> so has anyone else ever had that happen? Yeah. Um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, but my identity was stolen, and I was really just left with the consequences of that. <clears throat> and so I'd, I'd put it this way, sin stole our identity, right? It wasn't necessarily my sin, but sin stole our identity. And maybe I was innocent, but I was probably just really ignorant. And uh, in, the, in this situation, um, I was definitely overreaching and presumptuous, but I, I learned something. And I want you to turn uh, to Scripture with me. And this is kind of what God uh, revealed to me through this situation. So... Uh, Genesis 1.27, it says this. It says, So God created Adam, or man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So you've got the first man, he's created in the image and likeness of God, right? If you look at those words, it talks about the resemblance or um, representation of God. So he created us to be as he is, to represent him in this world and to reflect him. And if you go down to the next, very next generation, so we've got Adam, we all know what happened there in the garden, we know what happened with the fall. He, those guys had kids, right? Everyone know how that works? <clears throat> yeah. So next generation, we've got Genesis 5.3. It says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had, that's an old dude, 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So did you, did you catch that? That first generation and the second generation difference, that Seth wasn't necessarily born into the image and likeness of God, per se. This is, the, this is the lineage of first Adam, fallen Adam, and you can see a shift already. That from being identified in God to now being identified in Adam. There's an identity theft that's gone on. Let me ask you a question. How many sins does it take to make you a sinner? Hundred? One? One? Common, common, one. <clears throat> You're actually right, Glenda. <clears throat> There's, the, the Bible doesn't say one. The Bible teaches us that none. That it, it takes you no sins to be a sinner. You were a sinner by birthright, right? That, that is your given identity. Woohoo! <laughs> right? It takes zero sins to be a sinner, and it actually takes zero Righteous acts to be a saint. Stop it. Oh, now you're getting me excited. <laughs> so Adam and Eve, they were, they were wanting to know good from evil, right? To be like God. And in this very next generation, you see Seth has been born in Adam's image and likeness. And you see whose image was, was carried down. Right, all of humanity, are we created in God's image? I'm just putting it out there. See, Adam was a yes, like that's a solid yes, because he had perfect, a perfect righteous spirit. He could stand naked and unashamed before God. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the de dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. See, in chapter 15 here, you've got Paul, and he's, he's, um, he's stressing the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. To, it, it, Christianity is dependent on it, right? And he's rebuking the church of Corinth by saying that um, if Jesus doesn't, didn't resurrect, uh, after he was crucified, then actually there's no point in the Christian faith. But the significant thing I see in this passage is, as in Adam, all died. This is like, this is the universal plight of humanity, that we are positioned in first Adam and we all died. We are as dead as Adam. All humanity is born spiritually dead. And through his sin, we are dead to the spirit, 
but we're alive to sin. And that is our inheritance. That's our, that's our spiritual bloodline. That's what we get. Romans 15, 12 says this. It's quite long. You can read along with me. All right, it says, So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but there was no accounting for sin when there was no law. Yet death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam, who was a type of the coming one, transgressed. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if the many died through the transgression of the one man, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, multiply to the many? And the gift is not like the one who sinned. For judgment resulting from one transgression led to condemnation. But the gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. For if by the transgression of the one man, death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ? Wow, what a, what a banger. <laughs> so, therefore, as one man sins, death spreads to all. But the sin of the many by the sin of the many, by the sin of the one, all died. But Jesus, right? One Savior, one Savior brought the solution. And through Jesus, we are recreated into the image of Christ to bear his likeness. Everything changes. One sin that Adam committed so that you show up as a sinner your problem is, who are you in? Are you in Adam because in Adam all died? Or are you in Christ because in Christ we're all made alive? Who are you in? Who are you standing in? That is your identity. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? There's, no, there's actually no room for any gray there. Do you see any gray area? You know, do you see any room for like, oh, am I right with God? You know, oh, well, I, I looked at something I shouldn't have this week. So I, you know, I feel, oh, man, this morning I had so much pleasure when Gideon kicked the cat. Uh, or, you know, God, you told me to speak to that guy at the gym this morning and I didn't. I kind of turned and went the other way. I freaked out. I refused. See, you know, we look at like, I don't know, pick someone, Mother Teresa, Francis of Assisi, like they're obviously in Christ, right? Because they were saintly. Surely it's because of their acts of righteousness, their holiness. Not! <laughs> right? It's actually got nothing to do with them. It's got nothing to do with their behavior. See, what about this dude? Luke 23, 39. What about this guy here? One of the criminals who was hanging there, rallied at him, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve. 
for what we did. But this man, this man, Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, hang on. That guy hasn't done Alpha course. <clears throat> that just makes no sense. You mean to say that he's there on the cross, hanging next to Jesus, dying in his sin and his shame. And just by placing his belief in Jesus, in that one moment, the righteousness of Jesus was imputed to him. He hadn't even done, I don't know, he hadn't, he hadn't done a 6 a.m. Bible study. He hadn't been on a discipleship journey. He hadn't been to the Tuesday night prayer meeting, Gideon. Did he make the cut? That's nuts. See, you are, you are in either one camp or the other. There's only two camps, you know. And by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus the moment you believe. There are only two kingdoms. And actually, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit the moment you believed. Ephesians 1, 13 says this. And when you heard the word of truth, when you just heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Right then, in that moment, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. When I was, um, I, when I was doing uh, my theology study, they, we were taught two motifs that were supposed to illustrate salvation, right? And I remember this because it was kind of cute um, and they stuck with me. It was called fences or wells. Anyone heard of that? Fences or wells, right? And so if you can imagine that you're all sheep, not hard. <laughs> uh, so in the fences motif, we are either on one side of the fence or on the other side of the fence, right? It's either you're in or you're out. You're either hot or you're cold, right? Now, when I was studying, no one really liked that one. No one really liked that model. It was just too definitive, you know, too positional, too like, what about this? What about the nuance over here? What about the gray space? What about that? And yet the other motif, you have, you have like a well, picture a well in the center, and every sheep is just scattered around in this field, right? And some are, some are facing away from the well, and some are facing towards the well. Some are... Um, just nibbling on grass, the stationary, you know, and some are like lolloping, bleating towards the well. There's, there's movement, right? Um, there's, there's, there's direction, there's nearness, there's intentionality, there's all these nuances. And honestly, I sat there for quite a while preferring that model until I didn't find it in Scripture. Like I was more comfortable with that because then we could explain the bits in between. But I, I, I never found it in Scripture. Listen, John, uh, John 10, 27. Jesus, um, he's at a feast of dedication. He's in the temple and he's speaking to the Jewish leaders, right? 
And they wanted him to say, they wanted to like, can we just finally definitively hear from you saying that you're the Messiah? Because we want to catch you out in that. (laughs) And so they're asking him. And he says to them, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them from my father's hand. The father and I are one. No one can snatch you out of his hand. No one. Not even yourself. But those who refuse to believe are not his sheep. (laughs) See, we gained Adam's lineage, right? His, His sin was credited to my account. <laughs> and I desperately needed a new history because my history was his history, right? And the moment I came to belief, even if that was a journey, even if it didn't happen necessarily in one moment of time, the moment I came to belief, I was crucified with Jesus. I was raised with Jesus. I, I ascended with Jesus. And I was placed, I sat at the right-hand side of the Father in Jesus. Because I am now in Jesus. I now have a new past, right? My sins, the lawless acts, they are actually remembered no more. I have a new past. I have a new present. He, he said he's not counting my sins against me because lo and behold, I still sin. And I have a new future because he says, having forgot all our transgressions before one was even enacted. I mean, it happened before I existed, right? So stop looking at the past. It is dead and buried. Your old nature is dead. You are not wrestling with a dual nature. There is no angel demon. There is no white dog, black dog. There is, there is no battle between the dead and the alive. In fact, Jesus said to me one time, stop necromancing. I know, I had to look it up. <laughs> he says things that I don't understand and I Google them. <laughs> stop, stop trying to conjure up the dead in you. It's no longer, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not who you are. You have a new identity. It is not your identity. Leave it. You don't, you don't have to pretend that your old life didn't happen like it, it did and it affects you. But you are now in Christ. Your spirit is seated in heaven and not just some metaphysical ethereal cloud. The throne of your heart has the spirit of God presiding over it. Cool. Okay, so uh, now this is the pastor part in me, right? <coughs> hey, the pastoral. How does that affect my Monday? <laughs> so you saying this to me today, Joss, but tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to be in the same bed or lack of bed. I don't know what your situation is. I'm going to be in the same body. 
I'm going to have the same challenges. I'm going to have the same relationships. And, and when I'm wrestling with all that same stuff, how do I apply this? How do I see my new nature? Well, that stuff is soul stuff, right? Because you understand that we are triune like him, spirit, soul, and body. And so the first thing is don't fret. Don't freak out, <laughs> right? Your spirit is still rock solid and unchanging. Remember in, in John 3, this is Nicodemus. We all love this, right? He asks Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? <laughs> right? Surely I can't go back into my mama's womb a second time. You know, that's just such a fun picture. Um, <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus answers him. He's like, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. So the spirit of God has caused your rebirth. You are a new creation. Are you then going to ask, hey, Jesus, I sinned today. Like I, I really stuffed up. Have I been unborn again? You know, like, is it any less ludicrous than, than Nicodemus's initial question, right? Hey, Jesus, have I gone back through my mother's womb again, again, and now I'm in the sin nature of Adam, first Adam? Like, did that happen? Am I spiritually dead again because I stuffed up? There's some real gymnastics that you've got to do scripturally to try and uphold that position. No, what needs to be done is you need to be transformed, Right? So your theology of soul needs to be aligned to your theology of spirit. Yes, this happened. Yes, this is my identity. Yes, this is who I am. Now I need to align to that. See, Holy Spirit, we've heard this said that he doesn't have a bad day. <laughs> Holy Spirit doesn't kick the cat, get in. <laughs> and he's, he's, dis, he's, he's, He's attunely aware of the state of the world, right? The Holy Spirit is intimately aware of your inner self, probably, well, definitely more than you yourself, right? Definitely more than I'm aware of who I am. Holy Spirit is aware of what's going on in here. But his mood doesn't fluctuate with mine, right? His mood does not fluctuate with yours. Emotions, man, emotions are one of life's most beautiful gifts, right? Can we agree? Some of you. <laughs> I'm a feeler by design, right? <laughs> so I would, but I would rather feel pain and grief and sorrow than not feel anything at all. But when feelings come, when thoughts pervade your mind, are they always reflecting truth? Oh, man, I, I just feel distant from God. Come on, we've all been there. We're on a yearly cycle, a monthly cycle. What's your cycle? Weekly, daily, right? Oh, my soul just feels distant. Honestly, truth, I woke up this morning feeling a little bit groggy and a little bit off and a little bit, oh, what, what's going on in here? You know, indifferent, confused, lonely, numb, whatever it is, whatever the case may be. And yet it may be a truth it's the truth of my soul. It's how I'm feeling. 
and 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 it might be reflecting something in me, right? There's an indicator line light on the dashboard, and it's symptomatic of something deeper going on. But there is a greater truth, right? The greater truth. He says, "I feel distant." He says, "I'll never leave you or forsake you," and that's the truth. So, what are you going to do with your feelings? What are you going to do with your thoughts? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good idea. I didn't have an answer for that. I just <laughs> put it out there. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. You have to discipline yourself to reframe your soul life through your spirit life. We, we're told worship in spirit and in truth, you know, like not, not in soul and the truth I feel. I love feeling, you know, when it, when it's all synced up and you're like, oh, ecstasy. I love, oh, worship you, Lord, because you're feeling fen- phenomenal, you know. But what about the times when you're not? Does anything change? Soul. The the word soul, suke, um, is where we get the word psychology from, right? Spirit and soul. So you you look to your spirit for discernment. To, to where you're being called to. What am I being called into? He came to convict us of righteousness and he speaks to our spirit and our spirit, he resides in our spirit. Our spirit's aligned, it's one, it's in union with him. So allow your spirit identity to speak to you and transform your soul. You must renew the one to the other. Otherwise, you just live feeling like you're the sum of your mistakes, right? But we we, we have to choose not to be programmed to the fluctuations of our soul anymore and and to allow him to express himself through our spirit. It doesn't matter if you've been a believer one day, four months, or, you know, 50 years, or you've spent 50 years in the Adamic realm in that old nature, the moment you were transferred from Adam into Christ, you took on a new nature, and now that's your identity. But your soul's playing catch-up, right? It is a work of inner healing. We are all pretty messed up, no offense. <laughs> but we are being transformed by, from glory to glory and being perfected, right, into the likeness of Christ. When I... Um, I was a high school teacher. Uh, I worked at Moriho High School. Represent anyone? Yeah, what? <laughs> uh, well, I set up an outdoor ed department when I was there, and um, I, I knew what I was doing for myself, but uh, but I still had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> and so I went around consulting everybody. Right? Who's done this before me? And who are the experts? Where can I find them? And uh, there was there was a, a man that I met. Um, through uh, someone connected us, and he was now in a wheelchair. He was an outdoor education genius, right? He he was an athlete. He was a machine. He was uh, he was just incredible. The life he had lived, lived and the things he had done. Um, he was so wrapped up in that life of being in the outdoors and seeking adventure and thrill. Um, and yet, in this one moment of time, he was distracted. And he was just in a little old Christchurch, Can- Canterbury. He's climbed all sorts of things. Pick a mountain. 
And he was cleaning a line up on Rapaki, and he didn't have a safety carabiner locked, and he rappelled ropeless 26 meters down and snapped his back. And he was, he was fortunate enough to retain the use of his arms and his neck, but from that moment on, he couldn't go back to his old life, right? His identity, everything that he knew himself to have been was taken away in that moment. And he... Um, he, he retrained. He retrained, actually. He retrained as a counselor. And because of that process, he probably trained as a counselor, wounded healers, right? They, because he, he, want, he was seeking out his own journey of restoration and healing, right? And so through that journey, through that incredible story of personal inner healing, he found a new identity outside of who he was, right? Accepting the truth about himself now. And I was just deeply struck by his remarkable life. What, what probably impressed on me the most was the journey of, that, of his soul, right? And not deferring to the past or not longing for something that could no longer be or not even reminiscing, you know, not being drawn into feelings of, uh, I don't know, grief, regret, despair, sorrow um, over who he once was. He was, he was, no doubt, a more beautiful man than he ever would have been. You know, from a life living, live, living, lived for self, really, to a life lived in service. And, and he learned to love. He learned to love. And just sitting with him, I felt, I didn't, I didn't know him from outside of his story that he shared with me, but I felt loved just being with him. You know, and that road from self to service takes a transformation of soul. And this is where it starts. It starts where you learn to receive his love, right? Because he first loved us. How many, how many sins, honestly, how many sins do you reckon you'll rack up before you cark it? Like a million? I don't know. 26 billion? Wow. It's up there. Whew. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's going to be a lot, right? <laughs> And yet all of that sin just becomes completely and utterly irrelevant because you are in Jesus. And God is not looking at your record of righteousness. He's not looking at your perfect record of what you've done in your life and weighing it up. No, Jesus' righteousness has been fully credited into your account because you are in Jesus. First John 4.15 says, If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has in us. God is love. And the one who resides in love resides in God and God resides in him. By this love, uh, sorry, by this love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. Can I have the team up? If you've ever thought about the day of judgment, you need not worry. You, you can spend your life having confidence in him. Because just as Jesus is, so are you. It says, as he is, so are you in this world. Now. Not 
later, but now. You are as secure as Jesus. Jesus even said it of himself. He says, he said that we are as loved as he is. You are as loved as Jesus. Wow. So the fluctuations of soul don't change who you are in the spirit. But the soul is a mirror, right? Reflecting your focus. Is, is my mirror reflecting the bright white light that's refracting off my spirit? Or is it reflecting the smatterings of distorted rays that's coming off my flesh and the world and the demonic? My brokenness, my stuff. We need to come to a place where we walk in alignment with our new nature, with our new identity, with your spirit. Why don't you stand with me? See, um, God's not up there yelling at you to stop it. Stop sinning. Stop doing this. Stop being that. Stop doing this. It's not some sort of punitive form of behavioral modification technique. That's not what Christianity is. It is a transformation by the living God on the inside of you. Your spirit is pure and holy and it is reformatting the rest of you. (laughs) And your unity with Christ is actually, you know, when you feel disharmony, like, you know, I know I messed up, I feel, uh, it's actually your, it's probably your spirit because your spirit wants to do, (laughs) it's in union with God, wants to do this stuff. It's not I have to do this stuff, it's I want to do this stuff starts to emerge in your life. Have you ever told your kids you have to do this? You know, what's what oh what a dream that that what would rise up within them is I want to do this. <laughs> you know, out of relationship and out of connection. I, um, I don't know where you're seated, standard, where, whatever, where you're at. I don't know where you're at this morning. <laughs> but if you haven't confessed Jesus yet, if you haven't given your belief to him, having died for you, then you really need to now. So I, I just want to give you an opportunity. If that's you this morning, will you feel just stuck in this messy world lacking hope Jesus is real and he wants to have a relationship with you this morning so if you'd like to say yes to that invitation just place your hand up we're going to bow our heads just to give you some privacy but just place your hand up so I can see it and I just want to acknowledge your hand And then I want to say a prayer with you.
Was there anyone in the room this morning? If you're online, thanks, I see that hand. If you're online, maybe you won't want to just type in there, I need Jesus in the comments and the team will be in touch with you throughout the week. But let's pray together. And if you put your hand up just now this morning, pray this. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. He hears you. But let's pray this together as a family. Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. I want to die to my old self. And I want to receive your life this morning. I take up your overcoming life. Would you teach me? Would you help me to receive your love? In Jesus' name. going to open up the front here. If you feel like uh, I'd love some prayer and any of this new identity, if you feel like you'd like some ministry, the prayer team will be up the front here. We're just going to go into some worship and I just want to give you the opportunity to sit with Him. There's no specific like, hey, there's a call, there's a... (laughs) But we're, we're driving this point home about grace for a reason because time and time again as you minister to people you it is so hard to receive the Father's love until you've got this locked in and if you you're, if you're finding it a challenge to receive the Father's love then deal with this deal with this issue this morning yeah Father we just ask that you would encounter us just as we worship you and as we wrestle with this the revelation of your gospel message of of the revelation of grace and what you've done for us lord god father would you encounter us would you would you pour your love into us afresh may we know that we're accepted in you may we know that we belong in you may we know that we are righteous we are in you jesus name